Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, June the 25th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always... I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, training camp dates are announced. We'll get those to you, plus the five things outside of winning football games that can make the 2019 season a successful one for the Dolphins. And we go behind enemy lines and preview our first of the other three AFC East teams this summer. Today, we stop by Orchard Park and the Buffalo Bills with the host, of Locked On Bills podcast, Joe Marino. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins, and you can check out LockedOnDolphins.com, where this article we're going to discuss today is up live on the website. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. You guys know the drill by now. Busy show as we have every single day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. We have some official football dates for you. We've known for a while now what the Dolphins' regular season schedule is going to be this season. We just learned about preseason official dates and times last month, and now we finally have the final piece to the puzzle. Training camp dates announced. The Dolphins' rookies will report to training camp down to Davie in South Florida on July 21st. That is a Sunday, and the veterans report on July 24th, a Wednesday, which makes me believe that first practice of the new season will be Thursday Day, July 25th. Don't quote me on that. That's not for sure yet, but I assume that's when practice begins for the Miami Dolphins with veterans taking their conditioning tests and getting acclimated on Wednesday, the 24th. And I want to let you guys know we have program changes that occur once training camp gets here. If you were with me last year on the podcast, you know that I cover the day of training camp and post the podcast immediately after. So those podcasts will not be available first thing in the morning. It'll probably be more like noon or one o'clock out on the east. So you guys can drive home with those podcasts or drive into work the next day with all the updated training camp information from from that current Miami Dolphins day of practice reports going around Twitter. I won't be at training camp itself unless I can find some extra money in the couch cushions to get me down there. Already taken two trips to South Florida this season to cover two games of actual regular season football in Miami. So it wouldn't make a lot of financial sense to get down there for training camp, but I will have you guys covered around all the beat writers timelines. A couple of my own sources plugged into the football team. We are the go-to source for coverage of all things Miami Dolphins, and that includes training camp as well. We are just 29 days away from Dolphins practice and Dolphins football, guys. We have almost made it. And with that, I want to transition into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com that the Dolphins could achieve this season that might make the year a success aside from winning and losing football games. And we know this is a bottom line business that's based upon wins and losses. And Adam Gaze kind of refuted that notion last season and he was ridiculed for it. And I think rightfully so because of the context 
But the truth is, is that he was actually right. The process is truly the most important thing because it's the best indicator of future success as games are often shaped, or the outcomes of games rather, can be shaped by luck or fluky occurrences. The day-to-day evaluations tend to hold more water in terms of how to project future outcomes. So while winning 11 games and the division and a playoff game would be best for this organization under Brian Flores in year number one, we have to have realistic expectations for what this team is going to be and what this season is going to be. So these are the five things that are keeping my eyes on the television in what could be a challenging season in the win-loss column for the Dolphins. And the reason for this, and I reiterate it in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, is that Stephen Ross himself has mentioned in the past on the Black Monday presser that they want to take a step back this year and focus more on sustained success rather than plugging holes here and there on the roster and just getting quick fixes in an attempt to win 10 or 11 games and get into the playoffs and go on the road and get smacked down by Baltimore or Pittsburgh or whatever it might be. No longer is that the focus of this football team. They want to go backwards before they go forward and become a sustained playoff successful football team. And the number one thing they can do this season outside of winning double-digit games to get themselves in position to do that long-term is for Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker to assert their standing on the defense in the middle of this defense at linebacker, I should say. 23 years old for McMillan, 22 years old for Jerome Baker, and this linebacker position, whereas across the rest of the league, might be kind of going by the antiquated way of the fullback in terms of snap counts and the like, This defense is going to require lots of linebacker play, lots of linebacker snap counts, and you need guys that can flourish in the scheme. And if McMillan and Baker, given the fact that they have two and three more years of club control respectively and could find themselves really taking the next step on this defense in their career, that would be the most beneficial thing for this Miami Dolphins defense because from there, you can kind of shape the rest of the defense around those guys. And knowing that you have your run stuffer, your probably primary pass rusher, and guys that are versatile enough to bounce inside and outside on this defense. Very important roles for those two linebackers. Number two is discovering a viable counterpart to Xavier Howard. I talk about it in the article. One of the pillars, the many faulty pillars of the Mike Tannenbaum regime was the poor financial structuring of the roster. You look at the way they paid two safeties well above market value and you continually pumped resources into a middling pass rush. Well, that's how you wind up where the Dolphins are today. And with Xavier Howard's massive contract, the Dolphins could do well to offset some of the cost of that contract up front by getting production out of a cheaper, younger player at that second cornerback position. Eric Rowe gets first crack, but if he plays well this year and he stays healthy, he's going to come back and get a big contract next offseason. So you're probably looking more at guys like Torrey McTire, Cornell Armstrong, Jalen Davis, maybe even Jamal Wiltz and Nick Needham, the undrafted free agent. Number three up here, the unquestioned star skill player emerging. You have to go back to 2002 and Ricky Williams. The last time this offense had a surefire, bona fide game plan altering player on the offense in terms of the defensive coordinator of the opposition having to change their game plan. Yeah, you could say Chris Chambers in 05. I don't want to hear about Jarvis Landry because he was a slot guy that can't get down the field vertically. So it was Ricky Williams. My picks for this are Kenyon Drake atop that list, possibly Albert Wilson, maybe Jakeem Grant, and Mike Gesicki is the dark horse. You guys can find the descriptions and explanations for that up on LOD.com. It's titled Five Developments That Would Signal a Successful 2019 Dolphin Season on 
on LockedOnDolphins.com and the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Number four of the five developments we need to see this year. I want to find two more solutions on the offensive line because right now you've got Laramie Tunzel and four question marks on the offensive line. And while it's unrealistic to expect a 100% quality starting offensive line, those really just don't exist in the NFL. If the Dolphins could uncover two of these guys, whether it's Michael Dieter and Chris Reed or Jesse Davis and Daniel Kilgore, whatever the whatever the combination might be, if you can find 60% of an offensive line, that puts you in line with some of the better offensive lines across the league because this position across the entire National Football League is starving for talent. So if Miami can uncover two, and let's be realistic, getting one would be a boon. If you get two, you're in great shape going forward into the 2020 offseason. And number five, and this is probably going to be controversial for some of you guys, a definitive answer on Josh Rosen. And the reason it's number five is because for two reasons. Number one, the 2020 draft class at quarterback is loaded. And number two, the evaluation doesn't have to come to its conclusion this offseason. Josh Rosen's here very, very cheap, not under just starting quarterback market value. He's under quality backup quarterback market value in terms of his contract and money owed. And you can find quarterbacks outside the conventional high first round draft picks, just like the Dolphins got with Josh Rosen, a late second round draft pick trade to the Arizona Cardinals. Guys like Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, all at the forefront of their franchise and guys that were drafted or acquired outside of first round draft picks. Even if Josh Rosen strikes out this year, he can come back next year and compete for the starting job with a rookie. And that just puts the Dolphins in good position. I left off a pass rush prowess developing like Charles Harris, for instance, because I do think two reasons. Number one, the pass rush individually, the prowess at that position just isn't all that important in the scheme. And Number two, if the Dolphins do wind up picking in the top 10, they could go after A.J. Epinesa from Iowa, who was an ideal scheme fit. So I think that that might hold a little bit less water. And the other part that I considered was Minka Fitzpatrick developing into a star player, which I fully believe that he will. So I left it off. That's the piece. Five developments that would signal a successful 2019 Miami Dolphins season up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And if we were to happen to get all five of those occurrences to happen, it would be an exciting offseason next year heading into high expectations for 2020. And if you guys want to increase your expectations in the bedroom, you got to listen up right now. I'm going to tell you about bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. BlueChew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast.
We are about to venture into enemy territory here on the second segment of the Locked On Dolphins podcast for Tuesday, June the 25th. And we're going to do it all week long this week on the podcast as we begin, rather, preparations for the 2019 season now that is just seemingly right around the corner. And with that, let's get to my guest today and preview the Buffalo Bills. And joining the show now is the host of the Locked On Bills podcast. You can find him on Twitter at the Joe Marino, and he's also one of the outstanding analysts at the Draft Network. He is, of course, Joe Marino. Joe, what's happening, man? Travis, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time. We did the the Locked On Bills and Dolphins crossover on the Locked On Bills podcast a couple weeks ago, but now we're going to get. Joe's takes on the Buffalo Bills and a team that to me is kind of emerging in the AFC East. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that you do have a second year quarterback that is not everybody's cup of tea, but I think there's enough reasons for excitement. So if you can, Joe, just start us off here and tell us about Josh Allen. What are the things that you think he could do well to take the next step? What are some areas he can improve on? Just all that stuff that is going into your number two for the or for Josh Allen, your quarterback, the face of your franchise. You know, I think in order to talk about Josh Allen in year two, we have to talk about him a little bit in year one, and specifically the point in time where he was drafted until uh, he was a starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills after another dreadful performance by Nate Peterman, who won the job. There's a lot of things to consider, and I don't want to start off sounding like I'm making a lot of excuses, because I think by the end of this podcast that hopefully your listeners will not label me a Bills homer with fan goggles, but a guy who gives objective analysis who happens to be a Bills fan. And I, uh, so as I, as I start by saying this, please keep that in mind. Um, Josh Allen, everybody knows he's a raw quarterback prospect coming out of Wyoming and he struggled against power five competition. He had his fans, but he had a lot of doubters and Josh Allen enters the NFL with a lot of variables working against him. Number one, the Bills offensive line lost Eric Wood, Richie Incognito, and Cordy Glenn from the previous year. And Buffalo did nothing to replace those players. And that was pretty evident as the season went on. And you saw how bad the Bills offensive line was in 2018. So he's got a bad offensive line. His starting receivers are Andre Holmes, Jeremy Curley, and Kelvin Benjamin. They were all released by week 13. So you have... Uh, an insufficient group of receivers that aren't even roster worthy by the end of the season. And then you have a quarterback coach in David Coley, who wasn't an NFL quarterbacks coach ever previously. And the last time he specifically coached the position was 1990 at UTEP. And now he's handed a brand new rookie quarterback who's extremely raw. And so I think you have to mention that in addition to Josh Allen starting off his career, going through minicamp OTAs, training camp and preseason as really QB3 with some occasional reps with the first team because the idea for Buffalo was to start Nathan Peterman or A.J. McCarron. Well, A.J. McCarron got traded just before the season. Nate Peterman won the job and was benched by halftime of his first game. So a lot of things right off the bat that led to what I thought was awful quarterbacking by Josh Allen in his first half of the season. I I think that every fear that I could possibly have about Josh Allen as a prospect was manifested early on in the season. Then he gets injured, you know, it's the elbow thing, he comes back, and this is a brand-new football player. And the type of player that Dolphins saw him a couple times saw that he could be the reason why the Bills win games. And, and I know Dolphins fans will remind me that the, the, their defensive players were hurt and they had given up on Adam Gase and all kinds of things like that, but there were other games as well that Josh Allen played well down the stretch. And so the growth in year one was really exciting. Now, what, what gets Bills fans and me excited about year two of Josh Allen 
is just that everything's improved now, right? The offensive line, six unrestricted free agents, as well as a second-round pick in Cody Ford to improve the offensive line. Frank Gore added to the mix to add another veteran to the backfield. The wide receiving situation is completely different with players that are more tailor-made for Josh Allen's skill set and how the Bills want to attack defenses, and that Josh Allen is the undisputed starter from day one. He's gotten all of the first-team reps since the season ended and, and, and 2019 offseason really began. And so Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, can really build that volume around Josh Allen and get him prepared to be a starting quarterback in week one, which is very different from 2018. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of components that you have to mix together that creates that optimism for what Josh Allen can be in year two. Yeah, and I, you, you mentioned a lot of notes there that I want to kind of give you a rebuttal on. We'll go on to the next topic here in a second. But number one, you mentioned the games against the Dolphins. I think he outgained the Dolphins in that first game just by his passing and rushing alone. So that was pretty pretty hard to watch. I was actually in, per- in there at that game in person. That was tough to see. You mentioned the preseason last year. I'll never forget that Bengals game when they unleashed that pass rush on you guys, and he literally could not do anything. I almost felt bad for him, even though I'm a pretty you know notorious Bills hater as a Dolphins fan. And the number two, you mentioned the, the sweeping changes to improve the roster. It kind of reminds me of Ryan Tannehill back in 2012 going into 2013. And again, as a Dolphins fan, I hope that Mike Wallace and Brandon Gibson and Brian Hartline go the way of John Brown and Cole Beasley. But that's neither here nor there. And that brings me into my second question for you here, Joe, is the changes in the offensive complexion around Josh Allen, because in the past, and that goes back to Tyrod Taylor as well, this Bills team was built around the running game and pushing guys off the ball and being physical, and that predates basically the Rex Ryan era, and now it seems like they want to be this track team that can kind of throw the ball all all over the yard. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think when you look at everything Buffalo did this offseason to build around Josh Allen, there's two things that really stand out is number one, protecting him. There's no question about it that the Bills offensive line is better suited to protect Josh Allen in year two. Year two, Mitch Morse, highest paid center in the league now, uh, adding Ty Insecki, Spencer Long, Quinton Spain, who's been a really good pass blocker for Tennessee, and, and of course Cody Ford, the second round pick from Oklahoma. There are offensive linemen, starting caliber offensive linemen in the mix now that didn't exist last year. So the protection around Josh Allen has been improved, which is really important because Josh Allen has that rocket launcher on his right arm, right? He can push the football down the field. Well, that doesn't matter if he doesn't have time. And I think that the amount of time afforded to him will be better this coming season. Now, when you mentioned this receiving core, the Bills already had Zay Jones and, uh, and, and Robert Foster in the mix. Robert Foster, of course, emerging late down the stretch last year. Uh, and Zay Jones, a second-round pick from 2017. But they signed Cole Beasley and John Brown. And so what, what I think about when I consider these additions, it all comes down to spacing, right? So now you have two receivers in John Brown and Robert Foster who are very good vertical threats, guys that can lift coverage because you have to respect what those guys can do down the field. And that opens up things for guys underneath like Zay Jones and Cole Beasley who are good route runners with good hands, opens things up for the tight ends, opens things up to get the running backs involved out of the backfield. And all of a sudden now you think about this Bill's offense and it's equipped to attack defenses literally everywhere. There is no blade of grass on the field that is safe 
to not defend when you think about going against this Bills offense. Now, I understand they don't have Julio Jones or Odell Beckham at wide receiver, but the star is Josh Allen. The star is his physical skill set. And when you can give him that spacing to either challenge the football, challenge the defense vertically for him to take off and run, which we saw him be very effective at doing as a rookie, and then you have easier opportunities for him to hit throws underneath, you kind of see the vision here that Brian Dable had in mind. Now, one thing that Buffalo did last year that really I thought was good for Josh Allen to simplify things was they went empty a ton. 18.5% of their, their pass plays went with Josh Allen were from an empty set. And so what that does is it forces defenses to play man coverages and it makes it very difficult for opponents to disguise and roll coverage post-snap because you, you're probably going to be in man when you're going five wide. And this made things easy for Josh Allen, and it creates really favorable opportunities for him to take off and run with the football. Go ahead and put Kiko Alonso in the middle of the field and ask him to contain Josh Allen. It's not going to work. We learned that last year. And so now I think all of these components that I'm talking about work together in addition to Josh Allen being the guy from day one and having just a, a deeper volume of plays at his disposal and an understanding of who he is and who he isn't as a quarterback could lead to a pretty good Bills offense in 2019. And not to mention the fact that he can pretty much mitigate a free rusher on his own accord pretty much at any time just because of the athleticism and the escapability. We got Joe Marino here of the Locked On Bills podcast joining me to talk about this Buffalo Bills team. And while we're talking about guys that can create pressure on the quarterback and push him off their spot, that brings me into your guys' first round draft pick, a player that I was not really hopeful that it would he would fall to Miami at pick 13. Or I, I guess I was hopeful, but I didn't think it was realistic. I didn't think it was realistic that Buffalo Bills had a chance to get Ed Oliver at pick number nine. How has he been so far in camp? Is he going to play, you know, 70% of the snaps? Where do you have Ed Oliver at so far in year number one? Well, you can thank the uh, the Jacksonville, or excuse me, the Detroit Lions for, for drafting TJ Hawkinson and the Giants yeah. for drafting Daniel Jones for pushing Ed Oliver to number nine because – I think from a talent perspective, we can all recognize that he was worthy of a higher selection. And we're talking about number nine overall, which is already a pretty high pick. Very excited about what he can be as a penetration style three technique for the Bills defense. And, you know, I I, I don't nothing, nothing disrespectful whatsoever about Kyle Williams. I, I'd imagine that even division rivals have a ton of respect for Kyle Williams and the career that he had in Buffalo. But Kyle Williams wasn't Kyle Williams over the last two years. Sure. And you won't replace his leadership. You won't replace his football intelligence, but you do get a more explosive and dynamic football player in Ed Oliver. And I think the Bills' pass rush is a lot better because they have Ed Oliver at three technique instead of Kyle Williams. So uh, it might not be popular for to say amongst Bills fans, but I've said it on my own podcast to my Buffalo Bills uh, listener base, and I think that's it's just true. And so Ed Oliver in, in, in his rookie season – one thing, and I think that Sean McDermott and Brian Flores are very similar in a lot of ways, and, and so you'll probably we'll start drawing some parallels between the two. But nothing, nothing's handed to Ed Oliver right now. He's he's been running primarily with the backups. Jordan Phillips, a player that you guys all know, mm-hmm. uh, is is getting the starting reps at three tech. Everybody knows that the position is for Ed Oliver, but. Sean McDermott's not going to hand anything to anyone. So at least to this point, he's running with the twos. I promise you, this is going to be a player that's going to play well over half the snaps for the Bills at three technique come season. And so, you know, pressure in the face of the quarterback, disruption against the run, that's what you get in that Oliver. 
And, and I think that's the type of player that he'll become for the Bills. I think we all can agree that we're hopeful that between Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, and Christian Wilkins, maybe we can finally knock Tom Brady out of this damn division with those, five, those high first-round draft picks this season. We're going to come back on the other side here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I've got Joe Marino of the Locked On Bills podcast. I want to ask him about which players on either side of the ball we should worry about as Dolphins fans that you might not know about, Jordan Mills, and finally get his record prediction for the Buffalo Bills in 2019. All that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I'm at Winkle NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins, and he is at the Joe Marino. Okay, kicking things back off here in segment number three with Joe Marino of the Locked On Bills podcast. And Joe, one of the best things about having this Locked On podcast network of local experts is that we have people that know these teams and these rosters inside and out. I mean, I can sit here and recite 90 players off the Dolphins roster pretty easily. I'm sure you could do it as well. And with that, you can impart some knowledge on us on one of our biggest in-division rivals and tell us about a player on either side of the ball that we might not know a lot about but should have a pretty good career or at least a good season this year for Bill for the Bills. We'll go ahead and start on offense. You know, the, the name that really pops for me is one of the receivers. I'm talking about Robert Foster, who was an undrafted free agent from Alabama last year, uh, made the active roster, was cut at some point during the season, comes back uh, in week 10, and has 105 yards against the Jets. And then he just cruised the rest, the rest of the way, uh, really, in, in, in just a handful of games. He wind up with 541 receiving yards and three touchdowns on 27 receptions, average 20 yards a catch. And what I thought, what I thought was really interesting about Robert Foster is, is he kind of showed that he was a vertical guy. But then as the season went on, you saw some of the volume stuff starting to be there. And his, the, the respect that defense has had for his ability to win vertically opened up opportunities for him to cut off routes and, and create easy separation underneath it. And Josh Allen and him got on the same page. And so I know the story of this receiving core is kind of Cole Beasley and John Brown, the new additions, and uh, Zay Jones, a, a, you know, pretty high pick for the Bills, who was the Bills' leading receiver last year, kind of emerging. But I, I, I really think that Robert Foster and Josh Allen have a thing going here that you should be mindful of when it comes to the, the secret superstars, if you will, on the Bills' offense. That's a great phrase for it. And let's go ahead and go to the other side of the ball on defense. Who should we keep an eye on? Listen, I, I hope this name's not uh, a surprise to your listeners because I think this guy is a superstar right now. I'm talking about Matt Milano. I knew it. I knew uh, it. You, you knew I was going yeah, there? Absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's so underrated, but please tell us why. Oh, man. Uh, so uh, he's just a freaking good football player. Yeah, he and is. We saw he was a rookie in 2017, and he – by the end of the year, he was the primary starter at, at uh, weak side linebacker and kind of rotated with Ramon Humber early on. And you just saw a guy that made – he just kind of flashed big-time playmaking ability. And then he won the starting job in 2018, and he was freaking awesome. He was the Bills' best linebacker last year. And I know the rookie Tremaine Edmonds was a high pick, and everybody thinks he's going to be a star. And Lorenzo Alexander is a really good football player. Make no mistake about it, the best linebacker – on a top five defense last year was Matt Milano, the Bills' fifth round pick in 2017 out of Boston College. He's a splash play waiting to happen. He's great in coverage. He closes really well. His processing is really improved. And then it's just the splash plays. It's the force fumbles. It's the fumble recoveries. It's getting his hands on footballs in coverage. And, and the way that he played Gronk, I know the Bills didn't beat the Patriots, but I haven't seen a Bills linebacker have as much success lining up in coverage against Gronk than Matt Milano probably ever in watching the Bills have to deal with Rob Gronkowski. So 
get Matt Milano on your radar. I thought he had, like, if he didn't get hurt last year, he missed a few games towards the end of the year. I thought he was, like, Pro Bowl worthy last year. And he grades very well for Pro Football Focus. So if you want looking for some other opinion other than me, check out Pro Football Focus. I think he was the number one coverage linebacker last year uh, in all of football in terms of highest graded. And I think he's a star waiting to happen. I think when you look at Edmonds and Matt Milano as the Bills linebackers, it's it's that it's that reincarnation, if you will, of what Sean McDermott had in Carolina and in Thomas Davis and Luke Kuechly. Not making that comparison, but I think that that's the vision there, and I'm really excited about what Matt Milano can be. Yeah, it's understandable and also terrifying for Dolphins fans. Also, what could be terrifying for Dolphins fans is the addition of a former Buffalo Bill, and I want to get your take, Joe, on Jordan Mills. The Dolphins signed signed him to a one-year contract this offseason. I think it was after the official compensatory formula thing had ended. They got Jordan Mills in house right now. He's kind of battling for a right tackle job. Do you think he's going to win that job? What do you think about Jordan Mills in Miami? Listen, you know, I I think the thing about Jordan Mills is that he has a lot of haters, right? And I, I I haven't said a whole lot of bad things about the bills so far in this podcast. (laughs) And and I'm not about to start because I really do like Jordan Mills. He's not ever going to be a franchise right tackle or, or, uh, you know, uh, a guy that you really want to build your offensive line around. But the NFL, the way it is, you're, you're not going to have five stellar blockers on your offensive line. I think at a minimum, Jordan Mills is an adequate NFL starter. Does he have some really below average moments where he gets dusted around the corner? Yes. But by and large, he's not worthy of the criticism that he receives. He was a stalwart for the Bills. 16 games started for three consecutive seasons. And here's what I'll tell you about Jordan Mills, that maybe this will sell some people on him is that he stuck around post Rex Ryan on a roster that Sean McDermott, who could not be more picky about the players he has in the building. And he's gutting this roster left and right. Very few holdovers from Rex Ryan. Jordan Mills stuck around and actually signed an extension with the bills during that time and started 16 games for three seasons. And I don't know if that, that, that moves the needle for Dolphins fans or even you, Travis, but it says a lot to me knowing Sean McDermott and the types of players he wants to have in his locker room. The fact that he was a holdover from Rex Ryan, signed an extension, maintained that right tackle spot at at least an average level, says something to me about him as a player. And no, he's not a star. He might not even be average, but he's not the worst offensive lineman in the NFL. That makes a lot of sense because Brian Flores' entire mantra has been, let's get guys that prioritize football and guys that want to work hard, but also durability. He checks those boxes, it sounds like. Joe, before I let you go, I got to ask you, are the Bills going to sweep the Dolphins, split with the Dolphins, or get swept? And what is the Bills record going to be in 2019? So... Uh, I'll, I'll start with the last part of that. Okay. <laughs> I've done, I've done a couple of different schedule, you know, going game by game on my own podcast. I did it right when the, when the schedule came out and I did it actually last week when, uh, now that it was after the draft and I had the bills at eight and eight, which I think is reasonable. The bills were six and 10 last year with four different starting quarterbacks. This is an improved team. They had a, over $50 million in dead cap space last year, paying players to not play for them, really depriving them of having a complete NFL roster. And they managed to win six games with four different starting quarterbacks. All right. So one of those being Nate Peterman, the other being Josh Allen as a rookie. All right. So <laughs> I think that they can improve their record, their win loss record by two games to put them at 500. I do as part of those eight wins, I do see two of them coming 
against the Miami Dolphins. Um, they play the bill. They play uh, the the first game is Buffalo hosts Miami coming off of a bye, and so I really like the prospects of uh, of the Bills at home coming off a bye against a division rival, uh, and, and them being able to win that football game. And then the Bills go to Miami, if I'm not mistaken, later in the season. So they avoid the uh, the South Florida heat. And I, I I have a lot of respect for the Miami Dolphins. If you, if you think I'm going to come on this podcast and talk negatively about them, you won't get that from me because I understand what they're trying to do. I understand that they're not putting Band-Aids on problems anymore. and They've embraced an actual rebuild here, and they're building something for sustained success. I really respect it, and I I like Josh Rosen a ton. I'm really excited about him as a Josh Rosen fan and what he can do in Miami. But I don't see a lot of success on the field happening this year, and I do think that the Bills will win both games against Miami this year. Well, my first segment of the podcast before you came on and my article up on LockedOnDolphins.com today is talking about things that we can have success with that doesn't include wins and losses. So I'm right there in lockstep with you, my friend. Again, he is Joe Marino. He's at the Joe Marino on Twitter. You guys can find his work at the Locked On Bills podcast. And what else have you got coming up down the pipeline here, Joe, in regards to the Draft Network? He is a senior analyst there at the DraftNetwork.com, the best draft information highway on the entire internet. Joe, what are you working on there? I appreciate that, Travis. Right now, it's it's two things. First of all, getting familiar with this 2020 draft class. So we are are going deep into watching units, uh, you know, power five units right now, trying to extrapolate which prospects are worthy of our attention, getting summer scouting reports written, uh, really building that inventory right now over the summer. So that's happening. And then I'm also starting this week a superlative series, uh, where I'm kind of going through and, and going through each team, all 32, uh, looking at certain components of the roster and doing this superlative series. That'll be pretty fun. So Miami will probably be in the first week or so, so keep your eyes out for that. We'll look forward to that. Again, he is Joe Marino. We're going to do this again soon, Joe. We got the games in October and November, and we'll get you on the podcast before the season starts to do this again. Does that sound good? Oh, absolutely, Travis. Always a pleasure chatting ball with you. And there goes Joe again. What a fantastic interview that was. We're going to come back this week and do the Jets and Patriots as well. So keep an eye out for those podcasts. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. We'll check back on tomorrow's episode of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. But for now, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Made of gold. Please don't-